You know, Spiel, before we did this interview, I was trying to reminisce in my head about when it was that our paths first crossed. And, and I think I've got it. Do you recall when that was? I, I think I also have it. Where do you have it? Where do you place it? My first recollection is level one golden highway patrol golden colorado that's it yeah colorado highway oh. patrol center the big classroom and you go walk the down to the days. gym yep. yeah and they had the uh you know the pull-up bars on the wall and they were like mm-hmm. super close to the wall so you couldn't kip really couldn't get a big kip what year was yeah. that uh, probably like 1968, but I think it was, um, I think it was, I think it was, I think it was 2007, like the, 2007, spring, okay. the spring of 2007. You know, yeah. what's, what's funny to me, Boz, were you at that seminar? I don't think so. I, okay. I, I remember, you know, Spieler and I spent a lot of time at that golden Academy over the years, yeah. uh, when we were both coming up through seminar staff, we would be there like a couple times a month for multiple months in a row. For, for some time there. Um, but I don't think I was at that particular seminar. You know, what maybe- was the hotel? Remember Boston oh, yeah. Hotel? With the pool and yeah, then yeah, yeah. the well, hot no, tub, the sketchy the, hot tub? Well, there was one or the other. You could never have <laughs> both. You couldn't have the pool tub. and the hot tub. One was closed or broken or the other, never both. Always. And it was, it was this uh, old motel that then they, at some point, covered over yes. the courtyard area to keep it like an all seasons thing. And they built in like kind of crappy mini golf in there. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that hotel closed down. It's kind of a shame. (laughs) I know. Last time I went there, it was all shut down. I thought, man, piece of history. That in the, I mean, we're going way down memory lane. All three of us remember the whistle stop. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We're Leavenworth. Come on, breakfast for breakfast, man. You know, but I I was going to say, and maybe this just means I'm somewhat childish and sophomoric and how my brain works but you know when at that seminar that you mentioned in golden in 2007 i was on staff you were a participant and what caught my eye about you is i don't remember what the workout was it was on day one or day two it involved a thruster i want to say it was like a 75 pound thruster i remember it and was it with a burpee or what was the other movement no, it was, it's rhabdo in a can. Like if yes, you get can absolutely. It, it was <laughs> as many rounds as possible in 10 minutes of 10 65-pound thrusters and 10 pull-ups. Okay, oh. okay, okay. So, oh, okay. so this is it. So yeah, I remember, okay, now, now that, that piques me. And I remember, you know, I got my watch going to make sure we stay on time. And, and I look over, you know, everybody's a hero in the first 90 seconds, right? So I'm disregarding Always. any pace that I see. And I'm walking around the whole seminar. And eventually I get back to where you are. And it's like maybe four minutes in, okay? And that's enough time to, for people to have slowed down. And you're still at a pace that seems offensively fast. And I think I like walked over to one of the other trainers and hit an elbow. And I was like, hey, make sure you look at the guy in the corner. He's going way too quick. This guy's going to burn in any second. I can't wait to see it. He's gonna he's gonna implode. And I look, you know, I walk around, I look at like seven minutes in, I look over, your pace is still the same. And I was like, oh, that's highly unusual. <laughs> I really expected something to change by now. I think I stopped coaching anybody else and just stared at you and I was like, what what is happening? And then you just kept that pace the whole way through. And I was like, who is this guy? That's Chris, he's Chris Spieler. That's who he is. So that was my first indication that you were um 
cut from a different cloth, as as, uh, <laughs> as, you, as you might say. Um, yeah. I may have to run that one back. A 10-minute AMRAP of just you know, oh. death in a can. <laughs> I Man. did that. On, this Why? was on .com as a 20-minute AMRAP. Ooh. You and I and did I, that workout in North Carolina. I I think I got like 19 rounds. I couldn't walk right for I like got like four rounds. Weeks. And you got like 105 rounds. Oh my gosh. Hey, so that's what you get for being fit. <laughs> Man. You know, the workouts don't hurt so much. Weird. You're not quite as fit. No. Uh, True. Well, anyway. True story. We are, Can confirm. We are way, <laughs> way off base here, but it had to be done. So the reason that I wanted to have you on the show was you've had an affiliate forever um, Park City, uh, Utah, which has a very, let's just say, unreasonably high cost of living. You know, actually, all three <laughs> yes. of us have lived in places like that. Boz is in San Fran. I'm just outside of Seattle. You're in uh, Park City. And you've had your gym for many, many years doing what I assume most affiliate owners do, which is renting a space from a landlord. And then, as we all know, due to economics and due to people wanting to make money, Generally speaking, over the course of time, rent only goes up. It does not go down. And so rare. Yeah. if your profits are staying relatively the same, there's probably some other expenses you have. Those are increasing. Your rent is increasing. All of a sudden, your pocket money is decreasing. And depending upon the market that you're in and how your margins are, all of a sudden, you find yourself in a bit of a situation. And I, and I uh, correct me if I'm not encapsulating that properly, but you found yourself in a situation like that and you wanted to see what what can I do in this market? Can I find a cheaper place to rent? Should I? Should I build? Should I buy? So is that is that a fair assessment of what you had going on with your affiliate? Yeah. Um, I mean, I sort of had this idea of, wow, it'd be really cool to build a gym as early as maybe like 2011, somewhere in there. And oh, so well ahead of now. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and I've been through iterations of this that just fell through. So I actually mm. put money down on land in 2012 and started to go through the process. And before the earnest money went hard, they had to do uh, some kind of soil assessment. And that ended up being a wetlands that was going to not work. So I pulled out of that probably in 2014. 14 or so, um, I almost purchased another building um, mm. in the same effort at the time. This is, you know, gosh, what, seven years ago now, mm-hmm. eight years ago. At the time, my rent was actually probably a little bit higher um, than what I could have maybe bought the building for. Mm. But that ended up being a, a no go because it was on septic and I was going to have to tear up the parking lot and put in another septic tank and leach field. So price went up. Um, but so anyway, it had kind of been in the back of my mind and then it was off the table. Like as things increased prices, I just thought this is never going to happen. And then we ran into some opportunities where it became maybe again, a possibility. And then we sort of were as at, at this crossroads of exactly what you're saying. It was, it was okay our rent is only going up, right? And Mm -hmm. that's not going to change. And that's not sustainable. So I either need to completely change the business model and go to more of a smaller group training atmosphere and a higher price point, Mm -hmm. um, which I just didn't feel right about for the community. Not that that's a wrong thing to do. 
it just kind of wasn't for me. Um, option two is legit on the table, close, just stop oh, wow. running the affiliate, shut it down because it's not a, it's not a good business decision. Um, and is it sustainable? And then option three was, can we build? And so, yeah, that, that's what led us to where we are now. I'm sure everybody's so, lease is a little bit different, but do you remember, did your lease go up a small percentage, be it 2% or 3% annually or how, how, what was the frequency of the price increases? Yeah. Every year it went up about 500 bucks and then we acquired a more, month. No. Uh, okay. Uh, yes. So every year it would go up 500 bucks a month. Um, Ooh. Yeah. So it, you know, um, and then we ended up that acquiring up fast. Whew, yeah. And we ended up requ- acquiring more space along the way as well. So a, a lease that whatever for numbers, if it starts out at five grand, you know, if you're talking five years down the road, you're looking at more like seven or eight grand by the time you're out. Oh, wow. Well, okay. a month. That's yeah, that's pretty significant. So as far as the time frame, let me let me talk that back a little bit. So 2011, you're like, okay, I think we can do this. We can buy land. Land falls through. You have an opportunity to do a building. There's some hidden costs in there that, uh, frankly, I think you probably dodged a bullet not yeah. having to deal with some of that stuff, right? Like that's always the the silent killer as you get all in, and then next thing you know, you're like, wait a minute, this is a much bigger project. Yeah. Um, so that's off the table for a couple of years. So how long um, was that kind of middle period from, you said like 2014, there was kind of the thinking that it wasn't going to be possible. At what point did you pick it back up again as the possibility? And how long did it take you to make that decision? Oh, gosh. So we had been back and forth with it forever. And part of the difficulty was finding uh, a lot or a building that was zoned for us to Mm. be able to do our business in. so there is this area. It's just out of curiosity. Why is that challenging? Why is the zoning challenging? Oh my gosh. The, you know, the County, the city and how you have to deal with that, depending on what you fall under for us, there is, we're commercial, but it breaks into two different categories. One is community commercial and the other, I forget what it is. It's some other kind of commercial. And, you know, so since we fell under this one, they were basically saying, well, you're community commercial, you're not this, and you have to manufacture things to be that, that commercial. Mm, So I tried, I found land that fell under the other commercial property. And I was like, maybe this could work because the land was affordable. And at the time I knew a guy that could maybe help with a metal building. And so I looked into it. I went to the County and I wrote them this whole letter and I looked at the documents and how they described what commercial was I tried everything I could. I said, Hey, we, and we weren't at the time, but I was like, I'll buy one of these if we can build. I said, you know, we don't only run a gym, but we actually print t-shirts. We're a t-shirt printing manufacturer. Mm -hmm. And uh, we offer these products and these services. We help the local business. We're in a small town. You know, we've, we've helped local businesses and nonprofits. And I got this email back saying, Hey, we love what you do, but no, we can't change the verbiage. (laughs) And I'm like, what? So how crazy is this? Two years later, a friend of mine says, hey, I heard there's a county planning meeting, small town, right? And uh, someone's going to try to change the verbiage on the commercial lot that you were looking at. Okay. Is that you? And I was like, no, that's not me, but I'll go. I've never been to one of these. Mm. So I go. And the difference here is that this guy that was running a gym or a climbing gym 
was trying to build in the same uh, business park that we're in. And it wasn't zoned for fitness. And he walked down, sat down at a table on either side. There was a lawyer next to him. And he said to the county council, hey, all we're asking to do, he didn't even talk. The lawyers talked. Hey, all we're asking to do is change the verbiage so that this fits and we can add fitness facility. And everyone's like, well, I don't see a problem with that. I don't, I don't, that looks great. That's incredible. And I was like, and I stood up, they were like, does anybody have any objections? And I stood up and I was like, I actually have no objection. I tried to do this two years ago and you guys told me no. And they were, they didn't like that very much. Good Um, for you. Sure. But that, that, that alone cost us a tremendous amount of money. So that, Ah, that, that was really what started to get us thinking again of, okay, now it's possible because I know these lots are zoned for us. And then um, what, it's just a wild chain of events. The landlord at my existing, or that used to lease the, the space to us comes to the gym. And I said, hey, do you know anybody that has any land that falls under this commercial thing? And he goes, you know what? I've got a friend of mine that has a lot over there. Let me see if he'd be willing to sell it. Not on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, so I reach out to him. And it had been under contract and it fell through. So this is lesson learned on how some people that make a lot of money have a lot of money. (laughs) So I offer him the exact same amount that he had it under contract for like two weeks before. Okay. No, sir. 20 grand more. And I was like, ah, gosh, like, but it's the literally the only lot zoned for us in Park City. So scarcity. Pulled, he's got it. Yeah, he's got it. So anyway, we pulled the trigger, but that was another two-year process, Boz, to kind of sh- sort of wrap yeah. up that question of of that lag time between two and four years again of trying to work through it. You know, wow. you going into that meeting and seeing the other person there with a lawyer on each side, I bet you have had one heck of an education about how you thought business gets done to how business actually gets done in the real world. And can we bend this regulation? No, absolutely not. Speak to my attorney. Oh, we'd be more than happy to speak with you. It sounds, it sounds fantastic, sir. <laughs> oh, I've, I've learned a whole lot. Yeah, oh, a that's, whole lot. That's incredible. So, so now you, you lock down this piece of land, correct? Yes. And so now I'm going to assume you lock down this piece of land. Um, the, the permitting process was very straightforward. You get yourself a, a builder that stayed on budget and on timeline, and, you, and the doors opened about six months later? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, oh, oh, and the bank was more than happy to work with you with no, no problem, not a bunch of paperwork. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I mean, how much do you want me to, like, how, how much can I talk? It, it, in all honesty, I feel bad. I, I think this is, I think you've gone down a road that a lot of affiliate owners have thought about yeah, and may still be thinking about, but haven't actually done it. So I, you know, I know that you could speak for three hours on this, but I would like you to to actually give us a real walkthrough. Okay, what it took from I've got the land to now I opened the doors and my clients are there. I know that could be a All long right. one, but but kind of give us a nice brief walkthrough, and I'll I'll jot down anything that I want to circle back to to dive into a bit more. Cool. And interrupt if you need. So I'll try to keep it in a nutshell. We did what's called an SBA loan. And that means that 
the the government funds part of that and then the bank funds part of that. And what that does is allows you to come to the table with less of a percentage, it's basically 10%. Trick is though, that you need to, even though I have a, a the land, I'm locking in the land, I have to put down 10% of the entire projected construction cost. Finished cost. Finished cost. So gotcha. I need to already have a builder in, in, in line. I need to have a line item bid Mm-hmm. with what the projected cost of every single thing is from the permits to the metal to the lumber to all of it. So it's got to be all you, listed you out. You need that before you'll even get approved for the loan. Does it cost you money from the builder to get that information? That did not cost money. That's their essentially, I would say, buy-in to okay, try gotcha. to earn your business. Yep. Okay. Um so I had to have all that in order. And then I had to put down 10% of that total projected cost. And then what happens? So, so we get there, right? We have that, get approved. I put down the money on the loan. How long did that take just to get approved for the financing? That wasn't as long. That, that was, um, I would say, somewhat reasonable, especially if you have a good CPA or you're mm-hmm. good with numbers. That stuff should generally all be on hand. But- you know, it's just like anything nowadays, you got to give them like a sign with blood and give them your first child for the love, right, you know? Right. Okay. Um, so that's in place. Now the crux of this becomes now, be, now starts the permitting process. Um, and while you're going through the permitting process, because you have what's called a bridge loan, you have to pay interest on that loan. So every month that goes by, you're paying interest on that loan you can either choose to pay for it out of pocket or have it rolled back into your loan when it's all said and done. I chose to do it out of pocket at the time. Um, and this is the part where you have to be really careful and have some serious cushion because what I've learned is nobody talks to one another and they all pass the buck to you. So in like city planning departments, you mean city planning and bank, Right. So gotcha. biggest mistake I made is staying with a big bank. Find a local bank that actually cares about you as a human being, mm. because the big banks just don't. Mm-hmm. And you're such a even though it's a tremendous amount of money to us, they're like, oh, who's this guy, gal? Like right. makes no sense. So I basically that what <laughs> this is wild for the bank to fund the loan. They need all the permits in place. So you have to have stamped and approved permits so that they fund it. Okay. But I the, can't. Because ha- the bank doesn't want to commit its money to something that might sure. not happen. Right. Yep. Or it can't get approved. Yep. Yep. But I need the money to pay the permit to the county. <laughs> so I'm talking to the bank and saying, so you guys are going to give me this money to get the permits. And the bank's like, yeah, we got you. But then when it comes time to get to the permit, you go back to the bank and you're like, so I'm going to need this much money. And they're like, well, we're going to need the stamp permit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, no, you said you give me that money to get the permit. Well, I don't know if that's the way it works. And no lie, like <laughs> that's the conversation that I'm having. It's not like, no, we told you this up front. Information changes, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. So I had to, to keep the project moving. I had to front every single permit cost, which is not cheap. And around here, man, it's so unethical. Like, I'm not afraid to say that. Mm -hmm. Um, They charge you for 
um, transportation fee, which I had already paid a portion of at the existing spot, but it doesn't follow the business. It stays with the building. What do you so mean a transportation like, fee? What are... Exactly, Pat. What is a transportation <laughs> fee? So uh... let me tell you what a transportation <laughs> fee is. In our town, you have to pay the county a certain amount of money based off of the projected traffic that comes to your facility at the peak hours of traffic. And the goal is that it helps provide for infrastructure and bus routes, which we don't have one at our building. Okay. And it does road maintenance, whatever. Now, because we're a fitness facility, they assume that you have one of the highest number of people coming in at peak hours. Mm. So they've got this chart that you follow and it's, you are already lumped in, you are a fitness facility and this is how much you're going to owe per square foot. Um, so there's nothing, nothing to do with the actual traffic that you're going to increase to your place of business and everything to do with the modeling that they've done on pre-existing businesses that don't really follow your own. Correct. And if yeah. you want to change that, you have to hire a traffic engineer at your own cost and have them come and assess the project over time to see what it is. And meanwhile, every month you're paying interest on the land. Well, you're paying interest on in the land, you're paying for the permits, and now you might have to pay for a traffic engineer. Which I decided not to pay for the traffic engineer. Um, but in short, I had to front all the money for the permits yeah. so that I could get a stamped plan. Now, in that time, you've got three different departments at the building you have, or the county. We have a planning department, a mechanical, and a building. Right. And these three different departments look at your site plan. I'm assigned a planning developer. That guy, this is so crazy, didn't want this is not due to code. We sent him the engineering. He didn't want the door on the front of the building. He wanted it on the side of the building instead. And because of that, we had to do eight different engineering plans because it messed with the parking and the amount of parking we wanted, oh, going into the easement no. with our neighbors, getting documents from them, getting signed stuff. What? I, I'm what shocked that somebody can dictate where the door of your building is going. I was going to say, and what's the rationale? Like, why, why was he so fixated on that particular aspect of the project? He just didn't like it. He was in charge of it, <laughs> wow. and he was a grumpy little man that... Oh. Oh, so because of that, and because nobody talks at the county, and because nobody's keeping track of what's going on, the like head county planner, he doesn't know what's going on with me and my business and the planner mm -hmm. that's been assigned to me. Oh, that guy goodness. either got fired or left. I don't know. And now we have, it took us 18 months to get a stamped plan to where we could build. Wow. And so I had to pay wow. interest. I was going to say, so for that. 18 months, you're just writing checks, right? And, and nothing is happening for Zero. 18 months. Wow. 18 months. And like, so did you, go ahead. I mean, wow. I, the, you had to have had moments along that trajectory where you haven't quite reached that point of no return, where you've, you're moving along the track, you're starting to see these things accrue, you're starting to deal with some frustration about getting the process moving forward. How close were you to pulling the plug and just saying, forget it? Uh, I don't think I ever really got there. I'm okay. That's good. Yeah. I have, you know, my, I don't know. I tend to be that 
you know, I'm going to see it through to the end guy. Um, maybe to a fault. I don't know, but we were, <laughs> we were in, you know, we were in, there was yeah. really no backing out because we had already been pre-approved and, you know, we had everything in place, but, um, it was really, really, really hard, uh, because none of those planning departments talk. So mm. the planning department and the building department and the mechanical department, the engineering department, they don't talk to one another, at least in my experience. And I'm still dealing with this to this day on certain things. Uh, so I've got a, a question. Yeah. That seems to be, and maybe there's another hand grenade that you're about to roll into the room, but that, that's <laughs> probably going to be one of the largest pains in the butt that you deal with, the sticky points, inefficiencies, lack of communication, delays, et cetera, et cetera. Is, in hindsight, is there a way or advice you would have to maybe not avoid, but minimize that from somebody else? And did that occur? Were you your own general contractor? Were you your own point of contact? And would that be minimalized if there was maybe a general contractor that's used to walking into the city office every day and, hey, Bob, and you're like, uh, you know, yeah. I don't know. So we had a general contractor, but they're not from here. They had never built in Summit County. And I do look back and wonder. You ain't from well, around here, are you? Right. I do wonder if if we would have had somebody from the county, would that have been a different result? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, here's what I have learned is be incredibly annoying. Be absolutely persistent and go knock on the door, show up, email. And when I say email, don't email the person in the one department. Email every single department head. Be the squeakiest wheel that you possibly can be. And that will help things get done. Persistent and annoying or persistent oh, yeah. and polite? <laughs> annoying. Oh, like no you kidding. can still be, you can still be polite and annoying. Okay. Like you're just okay. not going to get rid of me. Like I, I you will top not. Top of the inbox every morning. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and like, just, you are relentless. And I didn't mm -hmm. do that. And now as I've started to go through some other things, I'm just like, Hey, you're going to, we're going to make this real clear. Let's not waste anybody's time. If you're not giving me the answer I want to hear, send me to the person that's going to give it to me. So I'll just stop people dead in their tracks now. And just mm -hmm. be like, go ahead, do me a favor and stop polite, but like right. answer the question. If you're not the person that's going to do that, tell me who. So yeah, fair enough. You've been down this road before that you're like, we don't need to waste either of our time mm -hmm. right, right now. So you identify the land, grab the land, you secure an SBA loan. You go through a miserable 18 month permitting process in which you're changing your door 28 times and Lord knows what else you had to have done, but you finally have... <laughs> approved permits 18 months has gone by uh, a shovel hasn't hit the ground yet correct correct and it's oh. a global pandemic and it's a global <laughs> pandemic so everything's, <laughs> so everything's going well so so now you have permits in hand is your contractor just waiting to fire up the excavator i mean what happens next yeah, he was like, had every duck in a row. And thankfully that was a really positive thing. So the second we got that, it was, it's go time, may, um, uh, may which I, was great. May I pause you before we go there. This, the contractor that now is about to break ground, is this the same guy that you started with? Did, was the screening process to find a good, reliable general contractor easy, hard? You know, what's the recommendation to people there? 
first of all, I'm not research guy. Like if I go to Home Depot to get a snowblower, I'm like, there's the cheap one. There's the expensive one, sir. I will take the one in the middle. You know, like I'm not going to research it. I'm going to buy a Toyota because everyone says they run forever and they do. I'm buying a Toyota. You know, Uh I'm not going to like, so I'm not like that. So I looked at basically two different contractors, one out actually he also took his level one at Golden State Highway Patrol. Oh, interesting. Mm. Not. Crazy, what a right? small world. I know. So uh, I spoke with him and I spoke with someone local. Um, and basically what I did is I found other people that had done building projects with my GC. And I called them. I said, hey, what's your experience? How was mm-hmm. it? How was it? And uh, one of the people that came back said, hey, um, obviously, you know, building is building got to stay on top of them sometimes, but always on time, always on budget. And I was like, that's nice to hear done. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily always true, but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, granted there are different circumstances in our world right now, but, um, that's what really pushed me to use the GC I did. Okay. Okay. So now fast forward, you've got permits how does the building process go? I mean, I, you know, can I make an assumption as somebody who's never yeah. built a building that you've got financing in place? Mm-hmm. The city appears to be totally happy with what's happening. You've got, you've got permits stamped. Yeah. General contractors there. Are you now headache free? Construction happens, doors open. Um, no, obviously you're still having to pay interest. Right. Um, so, and what's interesting about now this loan is that they take this bridge loan and they put it, they roll it into a construction loan. So the construction loan, the way that that happens is that every month that goes by, um, every draw that you have, mm-hmm. now you have a higher amount of money that you are lending. So now your interest payment goes up. So if you're borrowing $10,000 one month, your interest payment is X. Well, the next time you draw out, if it's now $20,000, your interest just went up. Right. So that's something to be really aware of. That was being rolled into the loan, but that also makes you pretty annoyed when things aren't on time. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm not a builder, but in my experience, the feeling is sometimes as if everyone else is passing the buck to you and you're the one that has to pay for it. You know, it's like, well, that guy wasn't on time because uh, the county didn't do this or because there's a delay with that or because we had to redo this, but I'm the guy that has to pay for it. And as, I'm like, as the owner, you're the guy, Every, the buck gets mm-hmm. passed. To you. Right. Nobody, nobody says, Chris, this was completely my fault. I'll take the hit on this one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like you generally get the runaround from that in every course of the the process. And mm-hmm. it's just like, well, it's just kind of the way it is. Um, now, having said that, the GC that I work with, he did show me afterwards, like, hey, here are all the things that I did to help you out. It would have been really helpful to know that during the process. Um, but he did do things to try to help us out. And he did do things to try to to make things as best as possible. Oh, but I mean, we were supposed to be in the building in six months and we were in the building in a year. And I was that guy where I was like, everybody says, you know, it's going to cost more. It's going to be late. I was like, that's <laughs> not going to happen to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to stay on top of it. And like, we're going to get it done. And it's just the reality of the situation, you know, yeah. uh, it's subs and the environment now with, COVID and supply chain and 
still sure. dealing with the county. It's just a it's there's unforeseen circumstances. And if it, and if it wasn't COVID in supply chain, it would have been something else. Because even before totally. the pandemic, everybody seems to go over the timeline and over the budget. Nobody ever says took half the time and half the budget that I thought. Nobody mm-hmm. ever says that. So right. not giving us specific numbers, but maybe a, a percentage, right? In yeah. hindsight, you said you thought it'd take six months, it took a year. So it sounds like the the timeline for the construction was actually 100% longer than you thought it would be. The initial budget, how much percentage over was that when it was all said and done? So another kind of crux behind this, what the bank does is, and understandably, but they build in a 10% cushion. So Mm -hmm. whatever you come to them with and say, hey, this is the projected final cost, they build in a 10% cushion. And I think they built in something else, um, which thankfully we did not exceed that. So the the total construction cost was not more than 10% of the projected cost, maybe 10 to 15%. That doesn't include, yeah, all the interest costs and the, protracted payments that you have to make due to all the delays and things like that, right? Correct. Yeah, you got it. So you kind of get this catch 22 of like, well, we didn't go over because they also put in the cost, the projected interest cost. So that's already in there. And the the cushion is based off of the actual building and not the interest payments, things like that. So Mm -hmm. we stayed within those parameters, which is great. Um, but it, you know, it was six months. And if you do the math, I mean, gosh, as things get exponentially higher, the amount we've paid in interest is tremendous. Yeah. I mean, oh, it, yeah. it's just like, poof, disappeared just into gone. nowhere. Not knocking yep. down the principal. Oh, yeah, you don't interest. get anything for that. Yep. <laughs> no, like you, if you live in middle America, you could buy a house, you know? Right. It's like, it's what you pay in interest for two years. Right. So, so You've got three different phases of the loan, right? You had the initial SBA bridge loan. Then when construction occurs, that bridge transitions over to a construction loan. And then I have to assume once you were done, that construction loan switches over to a permanent financing, so to speak. At, At each one of those junctures, when it goes from bridge to construction, construction to permanent, is there a refinancing or processing fee involved with that as well? Or is that all just worked in initially? Oh, it's a good question. We're in the middle of that. And it's we're going into the permanent loan. And what's interesting is the SBA funds it, right? And then the big bank funds it. Um, I've already put my money down. But again, these two people don't really talk very well. <laughs> so Unbelievable. Every, oh my gosh, it's wild. And so <laughs> I am like busting my tail last month to get, I have, I have sent every dime. The, can, the project is paid for. I've sent them all the money for it. And I'm like, it's done. I am not getting charged interest anymore. Correct. And the guy at the big bank is like, if we get this in, we can finalize the loan, no interest payment. I'm like, deal. September 1st hits. I look at my bank account. Bow, gone. It's gone. And I was like, what the? I called the guy and I was like, and guess, guess what? Guess what? The banker guy was on vacation, right? (laughs) Oh my gosh. So he won't pick up his phone. He won't reply to a text. Meanwhile, like, I don't, no one gives me a paycheck. I got to show up and make it happen. You know, mm-hmm. but this guy, punch in and punch out. Just like, whatever, just do whatever. And so, oh my gosh. So he sends me to this other guy at the bank. And this guy at the bank says, oh, you know, so-and-so told me to call you. And I'm like, 
that, nope, no. Like, we're not going to have this conversation to cut to the chase. Mm-hmm. So I say, I was charged interest. Am I going to be refunded for that? He's like, well, I'm like, answer the question, bro. And he goes, well, no, that's not the way it works. And I said, well, then why was I told right. to get all this stuff mm-hmm. together ahead of time? And he said, I almost blew my lid, fellas. He goes, I don't know what we could have done differently. He said, we gave you a loan. And I said, stop right there, sir. I was like, you gave me nothing. Mm-hmm. I qualified for the loan and I paid interest over the past right. X amount of months. Like you didn't give me anything, bro. Right. So now we're in the process of dealing with the SBA and getting all of our information in it. They have all of our info, but they need info from the big bank to be able to close. Hmm. And homies may be on vacation again. I don't know what he's doing, but he's like literally dragging his feet. So my plan, I don't know. My plan, I'm serious. On Before the first of the month, any cushion money that I have left in there, I will take it all out and put it in another account so that if they try to hit it, I'm like, nope. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Charlie. Huh. So those are all things that oh. you just have to continue to go through even, even through wow. this process. So I, I, I mean, it's fascinating the ins and outs of this. And, you know, obviously it's a huge project and lots going on in the world that complicate it. And it's complicated anyway. Um, I'm curious on the other end of it. So you still have an affiliate at this point. It's still active. You've got members and coaches and everybody needs to get in and get their fitness going. Yeah. Obviously your time is pretty tied up with this other project. Can you speak a little bit about managing that end of it? It's it's not oh. like that responsibility goes away. Good question. Yeah. So how how do you start to balance this? You've taken on this massive undertaking. It's spiraling into something that you know nobody could have predicted to, to that degree anyway. How do you balance that other stuff that you've got going on? I mean, you're a busy guy at the at the low end of it. So yeah. how do you navigate that? Um, you know, thankfully we have a really great team at the gym and especially at the time, um, most of those people, we had a really good flow and system of X amount of classes per trainer. So I was teaching about six classes a week and I was doing one-on-ones and dealing with all the back end work, but it, there were some incredibly busy seasons, you know, and you just have to feel that. And the hardest part about it isn't so much, I would say the actual work, right? Cause we can all bus tail, make it happen and get it done. It's just that it's really lonely, you know, Mm -hmm. because as you're going through that process, no one really understands what it's like or what you're going through unless you're going through it. So as you get frustrated or as you hit more speed bumps in the road, you have to be really mindful of how you're projecting that when you're in the gym with the classes, with the trainers, at trainer meetings, keeping them up to date on what's going on, when the move's happening. Um, So that, it's part of ownership, right? Um, But that was really hard, is that lonely feeling of, well, you don't want to burden the rest of the team with that. You know, like at the end of the day, it should be a positive thing that's going to benefit everybody. When you're in the moment, though, it's hard to see that. And you don't want to, yeah, I get it. You don't want to bring people down with that. 100%. The the day-to-day dealings with the bank. Yeah. (laughs) You don't don't want to bring that into your trainer meeting, you know? (laughs) Right. But at the same time, you're like, I got to keep these guys up to speed. And then they'll say, well, hey, like, where are we? Did You know, what's going on now? And, And so you just do your best to give them that info. 
So did you, did you lean on the team more? Did you start offloading more responsibility to them or, you know, have them kind of step up and fill some of the gaps? Or was it just kind of like, hey, I'm going to take on the burden of a little bit more work on the back end and it didn't change the team structure significantly? Yeah, I take on the burden. I okay. take on the work and the team structure keeps rolling with what they're doing. Cool. Yeah. Wow, man. And how long, obviously... What was the size of the old space that you were leaving? What's the size of the space that you built? So we left, I think it was around 68 or 7,200 square feet with, you know, corner to corner with a dividing okay. wall. And now corner to corner, we're 10,000, but with like open floor training space, about 8,200. Wow. Nice. Okay. So a, a very good size space. Obviously, you can fit a lot of dumbbells in a space that size. So I'm <laughs> yeah. going to assume you had a tremendous amount of gear and a tremendous amount of stall mats that you had to move, which are really easy to move. Mm, how, how long, you know, you have to start getting gear out. That's gear that your clients need to work out. So you don't want to have, yeah. you want to minimize your move from one space to another, but obviously yeah. the faster you do it, the more you're going to be in the chiropractic office because you blew your back out moving a hundred stall mats. So, <laughs> How long, how long was one gym down? How long did it take to move what was decades, you know, yeah. a decade worth of gear from one space to another? Oh my gosh. So we were really fortunate in that again, our landlord comes to the gym. Um, and so he was awesome. Had us do month to month on the lease, but pressure again, right? Understandably, he's got to fill the space. Absolutely. And now guess what? contractor supervisor tell me we're another month out. Now I got to tell my landlord, Hey, we're another month out. And he told me, give me a heads up three months in advance when you think you're going to be out so I can get the space leased out. Just like everywhere else in the world, things are absolutely bananas right now. And mm -hmm. where we are, the real estate and the commercial market is really high. It's like people are looking for stuff left and right. So I tell him based off of my conversation with the contractor, Hey, we're at the three month mark. Um, and I even build in like another three weeks cushion. And uh, so he gets the space leased in like a week, you know, um, and it's, there's two sections to it and he's going to divide it and space it out. So I start to do some stuff as we get within about what I think is about the six week window. I'm taking all that like wood paneling off the wall that used to be there, uh, getting that kind of set up. And then comes this time period where, the existing space that we're in that has been leased. I'm still paying for it, but it's been leased. Mm. And the person that's leasing it is now coming after the landlord saying you're right. taking too long and threatening to then sue our landlord. Oh. So I'm trying to do the guy a favor. How about this? We've got the whole chimp in there. And, um, he goes, Hey, um, the new guy coming in, this, I get a text on Sunday. The new guy coming in is asking that you're out by Monday night. And I was like, you get this text on Sunday about Monday night being gone. Oh, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> not happening. dude." I was like, and I'm trying so hard uh, to be like a good guy and like, do what I can. I said, give me at least until Wednesday night. Give me till Wednesday night. That's still hustling. Man, 72 Hot. hours. <laughs> Yeah, right. Wow. <laughs> now, what has to happen in 72 hours is I have to take 
the entire, I have to take all the pull-up racks out. I have to take every stall mat that I have out of our both spaces and the new ones that I've acquired. And I have to lay the entire new floor in the gym so that we can take the equipment out and put it on top of the floor. Because I'm not going to put the equipment in. Yeah, so you can't can't move any gear until the floor is down. Check. But you have to get all the gear out of there to get the old floor up. Got it. So I take three days, dude, to get every piece of gear on the larger side of the gym, at least unbolted, get all the floor to the new space, condense it to the smaller side of the gym where they are now building a wall where we don't have a bathroom anymore in our facility. Mm. They have to go across the street to use a different one. And no lie, I think it was 400 stall mats. Oh my goodness, 400. 400 stall mats. And we had some help from the community, which is great, but I would say like 90 to 95% of the stall mats that were laid I had to do by myself. Tell you what, you want to just, it's not a technical movement, but you want to just have, <laughs> have, a, have a, an event at the CrossFit Games that tests grit, oh, move 400 oh, stall mats for time. Oh, buddy. And now we're talking about laying them and you've got to measure them and cut them in all the little spots, get the floor laid. And I, no lie, like I'm at the old space on Wednesday night like peeling stickers off the wall yeah. at 12 31 in the morning. Did you miss your workout that day? In a couple. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I am hustling, busting tail to get that stuff moved in. But then what the interesting thing is from that point to where we actually got a certificate of occupancy was another three weeks because oh, wow. the, oh, wow. yeah. yeah, because the County now, They've got to do, you know, the fire and they got to do the building yeah. and the site planning, but the site planner didn't talk to the builder and the oh, builder's not talking to the stops. engineers. Never. You know, it's and crazy. It, you know, I, I, Chris, it's interesting hearing your perspective on this from a smaller town, even, you know, I've got some friends that live in bigger cities, New York, San Francisco, places like that. New York specifically stands out to me. I've talked to people that um, have gone through process of, moving affiliates or opening affiliates or whatever. And a lot of them just resign themselves to the fact that they will operate illegally for the better part of like a year because the inspections that need to take place are so backlogged that it is literally impossible to get them in any sort of meaningful time. And so the lag from you can be in the building to when the inspector comes around can Mm. be so crazy and people weigh the cost and, and uh, uh, you know, Right. The, the, the Risk cost versus reward. It. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're like, okay, it's, it's going to cost me X amount of rent to just sit with the building idle versus the fee that I might have to pay if somebody comes around and says, hey, where's your permit? See, it's crazy. Um, and so it's, it's wild that even in a smaller location, you're coming up against a similar circumstance. Um, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Oh, that yeah. is absolutely insane to me. So you eventually, you, you get moved, you get the certificate of occupancy and, and you're in, so to speak. How long have you been in now? We've been in for two and a half weeks and we still have to do some things to appease the county. But the yeah. same thing, you know, the guy in the building department's on vacation till October, but I was told I have to be, have it done in two weeks. So I've kind of just resigned it to like, 
hey, it's your problem. If you guys want this done, it's off my hands now. Right. You know, like it, like you can deal with that. Um, but yeah, we've been in for about two and a half weeks, uh, nice. like running classes. Yeah. Well, so okay, you go through this big process. You know, you get the building. You guys are in now. It's early days still. I mean, two and a half weeks is still that's nothing. You know, yeah. especially if you think about the long term, you're probably going to want to be there for quite some time after all that work. Yeah. Uh, what? Have you had a chance to kind of reflect back and think if I were a different affiliate or if I was just somebody that was interested in this process, you know, what would be kind of the milestones that you think would be necessary to pass before you'd consider taking on a project? Like, is this something that you'd say, hey, you're two years into uh, having your affiliate. Yeah, go for it. Try to build a building. Or is there some <laughs> other, <laughs> is there some other kind of uh, uh, metric in your mind that it's like, hey, not before this point should you consider taking something on like this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I think for most people, I think most affiliate owners at some point hit this crossroads of, they have this have to have this real hard conversation of, is this really what I'm going to do the rest of my life? Like, is this really my profession from here on out? Is that sustainable? Is that what I want to do? Are we in a trajectory that 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 can happen? Um, and so that's the first question. If the answer to that is yes, yes, this is financially viable and what I want to do for the rest of my life then I think it's that step one, because for me, and I'm totally transparent with this, like this is the exit strategy. Most people think that their affiliate is worth money because they've got this equipment in it and the equipment costs them X amount of dollars. Mm -hmm. And they've got, you know, this space they're leasing out and the community is so great. Your affiliate is really only worth the membership that is coming in. And that's what someone's going to base the worth of it off should they come in and purchase it. Your equipment's depreciated over time. Mm -hmm. And yes, well, but that be a part of the purchase? Yes. But if you spent 50 grand on equipment, you're not going to get 50 grand out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, so, yeah. so for me, I don't, and, and it's because of this, I did not have a 401k. I didn't have a Roth IRA. I had nothing. All I did and again, super transparent, because this is a different situation for me. Um, from the second, super fortunate to have people support me during my days of competing. You know, from the second that I was getting any kind of sponsorship money, um, what I would do is just put that in a savings account. Mm. And I just stashed that and stash. I didn't invest it. I didn't. We, we used a little bit as we bought a different house on some closing costs and down payment, but everything that I pretty much saved, um, I used as my down payment on the building. And this is wild. When it came time to figure out what that down payment was, we got the number from the bank and in my sponsor account was $7 more than I oh, needed wow. for wow. my down payment. That's incredible. So I just took that and used it for the down payment on the building, the, the gym, the, the membership, all, we have got such a great community and awesome people and trainers, but the gym could not have financially afforded this. Mm -hmm. yeah. It just wasn't in the cards. So for me, this is a way to do something that I love 
for the rest of my life, as long as I want, with now a lot of flexibility to have an exit strategy of saying, hey, in 15 years, if the gym, my hope is the gym is crushing and doing great, and maybe I can refinance the building and either hire someone to run the gym from start to finish every single mm-hmm. thing, and I'm just removed from it, mm-hmm. but I can still watch it thrive. Awesome. If that's not working, um, maybe I can lease, I can downsize and sublease part of the building. Absolutely. If that's not working, maybe I close the affiliate and I can lease the building. I don't really have any plans to try to sell the building because this is my retirement. And if I mm-hmm. can have a business that is very cash flow positive in the sense that I'm paying myself rent, um, I mean, what a dream, right? Absolutely. Who wouldn't want to yeah. be able to run for an sure. affiliate yeah. and for essentially for, for free and get paid because of the space you have on top of it. So a really different situation for me in regards to how that happened and, and the way that that happened. And I have no problem being transparent with that because I think it's really hard to do. Well, it, it worked out fantastic with the sponsorship money because I think that might be what is the missing piece of the equation. If somebody doesn't think it all the way through, they forget about mm-hmm. that. So they might be like, all right, well, look, I'm paying for simple math, $4,000 a month in rent. Uh, there's, you know, I went on to this commercial real estate website. We can buy this building or similar building for $1 million. And that's going to be about a $4,000 a month mortgage payment. Well, that's yeah. what I'm paying. So I'm just going to do the. I'm just going to buy the building. Yes, but depending upon the loan you get, you need ten to twenty percent down. So you need to have yeah. one hundred mm-hmm. to two hundred thousand dollars sitting around, and that is usually the missing piece of the equation. Because if that wasn't the case, a lot of people would gladly trade sure. their monthly lease payment for their to own the asset themselves. But do mm-hmm. you have that? chunk of cash to get the entire ball rolling and then like you said do you have probably even a more than you think because either you're paying on interest or these unexpected costs and those are the things that if somebody is contemplating going down this road that's why i wanted to have you on as a guest because i think the initial math that happens in your head isn't quite as simple as how it actually plays out in reality yeah, and it doesn't mean that you couldn't find an investor or someone sure. to do it. I mean, if this is your passion, go for it. But you got to make sure that what you're doing makes sense financially. And even still to this day, um, I have other revenue streams that, and again, completely transparent. Um, I have other revenue streams that provide for my family. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I take very very little from the gym and the amount of work that I do. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we've done some things that I'm really passionate about and that's not anybody's fault other than my own. So I say that. And I think all of us as affiliate owners need to take ownership of that. If we are in that position, we can educate ourselves. We can find other resources and figure out how to make that better. The way you do that is by starting. You have to look at your numbers and I am not like this guys. I am not the crunch the number guy, like I said, I'm like by the middle of the road, Toyota. Like I'm, I'm not like that, but I had to sit down and look at the past year and say, okay, here are these other revenue streams. How much is this making? How much is the affiliate making on its own feet? 
Because mm-hmm. if anything happens to these other things, then this could be compromised. Mm-hmm. And that's not okay, not just for me, but for the business as an entity, for all the trainers that work here. And I'm Absolutely. not willing to risk that, right? Mm-hmm. So we had to really, I had to look at those numbers and say, okay, what, where are we and how can I change this without needing another two, 300 people? So what do I need to do to increase my revenue to X amount so that the business of Park City Fit is thriving? And if anything else happens, it's here, it's rock solid, it's sustainable. And that's something you better do before you think about building a building. And I had to do that three months ago. That's when I did that is I looked at that and thought, okay, like, where are we? What's really happening? So we made some real um, structural changes to like the way that we uh, are going to provide certain services for our members and incentivize our trainers and, um, and it, it's been like a big change kind of behind the scenes mm-hmm. to, to get us to that point to where I can say, hey, you know what? When I go to work, it's not just to make it happen. Like the business is thriving, you know, and, I, and the business. And I think sometimes people assume that as affiliate owner, when we say the business, it means like me, the owner. Mm-hmm. No, the business is the business. It needs to be cash flow positive and then it needs to be able to pay the owner and everybody else, you know? So we're doing what we can now to make those changes, but do that. Look at like, have a real honest conversation with yourself and say, okay, exactly how much am I making after rent, insurance, credit card processing fees, refunds? What are my utilities? How much am I spending on toilet paper and paper towels? Those little coffee cups that you get for all your buddies. How much is that going out the door? What about the computer that you just bought? The software that Mm -hmm. you bought for the computer? I mean, you might be shocked at the amount of expenses that you actually have running a business, but you have to do that. And then on top of that, sorry for the rant. No, you're, this, is, you, this is exactly what people need to hear. You have to. This is one of the hardest things I have learned because business ownership can be incredibly lonely. You have to make decisions that people may not like, but they respect. Yeah, You absolutely have mm-hmm. to do that because if you put other people in a position that you should be oh, yeah. in, or you put them before the health of the business, it's not going to work. You have, you have to be the one. And that is so hard in a CrossFit environment because guess what most of us do? Work with what? Your friends yeah, exactly. and, you know, members that have come up and, and started to fill roles. And yeah, it's, it's interesting because to me, that's just a, uh, a, a viewpoint of timing. You know, if you're looking at the short term, and I'm not saying I'm a master of this by any stretch, but the short term, it's difficult to have conversations like that because exactly what you said, your friends and people you've known a long time, there's a lot of, you know, history, whatever. Yeah. But if you don't, the long term will implode. Right. And so if you view it from that end, it's like, hey, if I don't do this, there's only one way and it's going to crash into the mountain. Well, then it makes it obvious that you have to do it. But it's hard because we don't think that way as people, right? You think about what's in front of you instead of what will inevitably happen. It's harder to focus on that. So, and nobody, nobody benefits if the ship sinks. Exactly. Nobody. And the, 
And what might, might be a great couple months, but then what? <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting, what's interesting is, is mo- in, in my experience, it's really, and I understand why it's really hard for um, sometimes employees to see it through that optic or that lens because they're not responsible for making sure Absolutely. that this right. ship right. that you are steering is going in the direction. They're responsible to show up and do their work, yep. run a class, do the, do the one on yep. right. But it's really hard for them to see that that vision, no matter how much you share it with them, no mm-hmm. matter how much you, you insight you give them, you know, it's important to have that team dynamic and things like that, right? And, and help them all be in the same direction and vision. But I'm telling you what, like, as we change some of that structure to say, hey, what can we do to make sure that all of us can be here for 10 or 15 more years? Right. Like, what do we need to do as a team? Some people were like, I don't know if I align with that. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. like, that's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And that's just the nature of what you will go through as an owner is if you have a vision and you need to change that, or you need to take that to a place where the business is going to be healthy. So you guys can do this for 10 or 15 years. Some people might not be on board with that and that's okay. Absolutely. But it, it's really hard. <laughs> so that's, that's the yeah. price of, of leadership, be it in a business setting, a military setting, you know, if a, if a hard decision has to be made, it's wonderful if you can ask the troops for their input, hear what everybody has to say, and it would probably benefit you as the leader, get the lay of the land, the more opinions, the better. But at the end of the day, you are the individual that has to make that decision. You are the individual that probably has the, the widest scope of where you are now, where you'd like to be in five or 10 years that other people who are just giving their input here or there aren't quite you know privy to that. And so, yeah, any any decision is usually going to put a smile on some people's faces and alienate some other individuals faces. But if at the mm-hmm. end of the day, as a leader, you know, you made that decision, even if it was a tough one for the right reasons, not, yeah. a, not because it's a popularity contest, then yes. you can hold your head high. Exactly. Yeah. And so encouragement to you guys that are in that position, that can be really scary, you know, looking at those numbers and really having that honest conversation with yourself and then coming up with a game plan that you're really passionate about that you believe in. And presenting that, that to your team is really hard and it can be really scary and, and that's okay. And as that's just part of us learning how to be better leaders, better owners, serving our community better. And, um, it's just, it's just, uh, part of the deal. You may not know yeah. that, but it's what you signed up for. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and again, I mean, I, I hate to come back to it, but like to temper it with this idea of, you know, yes, it's a hard decision, but if it's not going to be made, all of us are going to go down. I mean, to me, that kind of tempers things a little bit, you know? Uh-oh. Yep. Totally. I think my connection is 100%. Dying. Oh, you, hey, perfect timing. Chris, first of all, so happy to have you on, just, just chat with you in general. But second of all, thanks for being so transparent, potentially um, on a subject or two that I think a lot of people need to hear about, need to learn about doesn't happen without transparency, but not everybody wants to share uh, their story. So the fact that you are open to this conversation, I appreciate it, brother, 100%. Oh, my pleasure. Sorry if I was rambling. I, I appreciate the time, guys. No, hey, always good to go. We'll we'll run back that workout in the future uh, as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys but, are on your own. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I will, I will close as, as we always do. If you're listening to this in an audio format, certainly appreciate it, but I encourage everybody, go to the BTWB YouTube channel. This show will be posted there and leave comments. You know, we read the comments. Spiel can read the comments. If you've built something or you're on the fence, you know, should we have discussed something? Did we neglect something? Put it in there. Got interest or topics for a future show. We want to hear them as well. And yeah, we again, Chris, genu- genuinely appreciate it. And for everybody out there in viewership land, for Adrian Bosman, I'm Pat Sherwood, and we will see you next time.